Entrepreneurship on 702. Entrepreneurship uh, is a regular feature on this show once a week, every Tuesday, and uh, we are not skipping it today. Uh, so I'd love to hear from you. You are an entrepreneur, I know, or you aspire to be one. And uh, we have uh, uh, these lessons to go through to understand ourselves. And my guest is Roxanne Webster, who's director and partner at Bowman's uh, Law Firm. And uh, Roxanne joins us uh, right now to help us understand uh, this a little bit better. Uh, Roxanne, thank you so much for your time. Welcome to 702. Lovely talking to you. Welcome. Hi, Tabo. Thanks for having me. If you will, Roxanne, I will ask elementary questions not to bore you. I'm sure that you uh, went through these concepts a thousand times as you're studying, as you're practicing and with all your experience. But to uh, entrepreneurs like myself, my, uh, myself uh, these are very make waters and we're trying to just stay afloat. And I'm sure many other entrepreneurs out there would want to understand these concepts. So bear with me as uh, you help me with my crayons. Uh, to make sense of uh, the legalese around this. So maybe let's kick off first with liquidation. Whilst I mentioned the story of DRIP, I don't want to confine you to it because you'll say that you don't have the details rightly so and it's not just our main topic, but it's just understanding liquidation. Uh, What is the process of liquidation? Where does it start? What precipitates it? If you had to explain it to a simple person like myself. Okay, so... Liquidation, if we just think of, let's just start with what does it actually mean? What is liquidation? So liquidation means that your company is being wound up. And what does wound up mean? Wound up means that the assets of the company will ultimately be sold off and the income derived from the sale of those assets will then be used to pay creditors and employees And once they are paid, the company will then effectively be closed down. So you'll have a close down of the company and they won't and and employees will no longer have jobs. So that's effectively what liquidation means. Now, how do we how do we get to a company being liquidated? There's two methods in how a company is liquidated. One we call the compulsory liquidation. And that involves an application to court. So in drip scenario, you had a creditor wide open who then brought a application to the high court. Mm. And in that application, they had to set out their grounds on why they want to liquidate um, drip. So they then set out that they had a claim against drip for the 20 million rand. And they then also set out the grounds on liquidation. One of the grounds for liquidation is that you should be unable to pay your debts as in when they fall due. Now we'll get into this a bit further, but the second option or or how a company can be liquidated is voluntarily. So a company can see that they won't be able to pay their debts as they fall due, they're struggling, and the only outcome or the best outcome is to actually liquidate the company, not so as to not incur further debts. And then the company decides, okay, we're going to voluntarily liquidate, so we have to then pass a resolution to liquidate. So those are the two methods ultimately of how a company gets liquidated. Now, Mm. in the drip scenario, we saw the compulsory liquidation where a creditor 
And in terms of our law, you only have to have a claim against a company or anybody that owes you for a hundred rand. And once you have that debt that's owed for a hundred rand, you then have what we call in, in legalese locus standi. But in other words, plain and simple language just means the authority or the ability to bring an application. That's the first the first requirement. The second requirement, as I said, is the inability to pay your debts as and when they fall due. Now, there's a section in the Companies Act which says, and, it's, and we call it a Section 345 Letter of Demand, which means that if I send a letter of demand, like Wide Open sent to Drip and say, said, I, you owe me 20 million rand, if you don't pay this 20 million rand within 21 days, you will be deemed unable to pay your debts. And this is what the Companies Act says. If Drip is unable to pay within the 21 days or come up with a reasonable proposal or, or anything to the satisfaction of wide open within the 21 days, if they fail to do that, then the Companies Act says they are deemed unable to pay their debts and that's a ground for liquidation. So without having read and having accessed to the liquidation application, I read from the article sure. that that was the basis of um, wide opens liquidation application. And and that was very succinct. Thanks very much for that, Roxanne. Very clear. And um, to what extent, let's take the former, which is compulsory liquidation, uh, can you as an entrepreneur or a company defend yourself against uh, perhaps litigants who are not of goodwill and the intention is just to impugn the reputation and just cause a legal mess. Can you demonstrate that even though I do not have the capacity to pay you within the set time, there is potential of you getting the money without the company being wound up? So, yeah, so there is... There isn't, there is ways and how we can defend it, but ultimately it just comes down to whether you'll be successful in court in actually defending. So you can defend it and oppose it. It's just whether the judge will deem your reasons, um, credible. So in this instance, drip, like we said, there was a deemed insolvency. So they mm-hmm. sent the letter of demand. They didn't respond. And therefore, in terms of the law, it triggers that deemed insolvency. So in order for drip, to overcome that deemed insolvency, they actually have to show the court that they are solvent. And one method of how you can show the court that you are solvent is that your assets, the assets of a company, exceed its liabilities. And that's what we call factual insolvency. And that's one consideration that the court can take into into account. But there's because you have this, you've triggered the deemed insolvency aspect um you have to go you're going to have to go a bit further to motivate to the court as to why the court should not consider or apply the deemed insolvency so you're going to so drip in this circumstances is going to have to go a step further and show why did they not respond to that letter of demand within 21 days 
um, what other businesses is is out there? What type of income is coming in? Um, do they have access to any credit facilities or facilities with banking institutions? Um, what is their employees, their staff? What is the staff component? Is it is it a large staff component that are, are very that obviously need their jobs? So you're going to have so Drip will have to look at all of those type of circumstances and factors and try to motivate to the court that despite the deemed insolvency, um, they the court should still consider all of these factors and not grant the liquidation. Had had Drip at least responded to the letter of demand, it would have placed them at a better footing in opposing in opposing the liquidation. But there is there is grounds on which you can oppose the liquidation. It's just the only only way we generally can oppose liquidations with with um, with success or with guarantee is if the company is financially solvent or sound. But in, in those circumstances where it's not quite clear, you have to have other factors that we have to put before the court to consider. I would presume, should the court find that the, the assets and uh, possible income and its potential um, exceeds um, the, the amount owed to um, whoever the creditor is or whoever the service provider may be, um, um, the, the court may then say that, well, it can't be liquidated, but there would be an obligation to settle the amount as soon as possible. Yeah, the court can do that. Um, it's, 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 it, might, it might be a bit unlikely for the court to do that because when the application is, is brought, the, the application for liquidation, there's very strict um, request what we call prayers. Yes. Um, it's it's the request that you make for the court sure. to find, and and the applicant says, okay, I want the court to find that the company is must be placed into liquidation, and 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 the judge's um, discretion in that regard is very limited. He must either place the company into liquidation or not. So, it's very rare that you might may find that that a judge will say, okay, I'm not placing the company into liquidation, but I'm ordering you to pay that amount. That's a that's a very different mm. um, application that would need to be sure. brought. You spoke earlier on, Roxanne, about uh, having locus, locus, locus die in a sense that um, even if it's 100 rand that is owed uh, to you by... Uh, a company, you do have the authority to go and apply for that company to be liquidated. Uh, do do you have frivolous instances? Um, generally, you do have frivolous instances. Where, but I would say frivolous instances is where we may be talking about a hundred thousand rand and up. Um, you're not going to get less than that because. Legal proceedings are costly proceedings. Mm. Um, so to actually go to court, you're going to be spending far over the hundred rand that's owed to you. So you're generally not going to see anybody bringing a liquidation application for a fifty thousand rand or a thirty thousand rand because your legal proceedings. Any good lawyer is going to tell you it's not worth it to proceed with with the with the liquidation because your legal costs are going to far outweigh it. It only makes sense if you're talking about 
big money, like the 20 million rand. And um, does the size of the company matter in this instance? Um, or any, any registered and lawfully uh, active company can be uh, considered for liquidation? Yeah, so the, comp- the the size of the company doesn't matter at all. It can be a small company where you only have one employee or two employees. It can be a large, massive company. The, the law and the process stays the same. Um, obviously, if sometimes you get companies that are in deregistration process, meaning that the annual returns haven't been filed, and CIPC, the company's Intellectual Property Commission of South Africa, is in the process of actually deregistering these companies from the the registry. Then, in those instances, it might take some a bit of of investigation just to see whether the company is actually is trading. And if the company is not trading, then it's probably going to be a waste of time trying to liquidate a company that's not trading and that's in deregistration. But ultimately, whether it's a small company or large company, um, as long as you have, uh, you've meet, met the, the threshold of a debt that's owed to you of over a hundred rand, you can liquidate a small company or a large company. It's 26 minutes after 10 o'clock, you're on 702, and uh, this uh, is the entrepreneur feature. My guest, Roxanne Webster, director, partner at Bowman's uh, Law Firm, and we are speaking about liquidation. Uh, And uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you've got a medium-sized business, small business, any sort of uh, size business, uh, it could be that your company may face liquidation. I hope not, but should you be uh, in that situation, what do you do and how do you avoid getting into that stance anyway? And this was triggered by um, uh, an article in the news items of uh, an entrepreneur extraordinaire, Legao Sehwana of Drip, that sneaker footwear brand that you would know. It was, um, uh, there was another company uh, that applied for liquidation uh, of Drip and that company is called Wide Open Platform. They filed the papers in the High Court and uh, they were seeking an order to wind up Drip saying that the company is insolvent and unable to service its debts. And uh, so we thought, let's bring this information to the fore on our entrepreneur feature. Let's speak to you as an entrepreneur or a budding entrepreneur. What do you do under such circumstances? How do you avoid? What are the implications of liquidation? Uh, and uh, as I said, my guest is Roxanne Webster. If you want to engage with us, ask Roxanne uh, one or two questions. Uh, feel free to do so. Uh, to call us directly, dial this number 011 and if you'd like to send a text message or a voice note do so on the following number 072-702-1702 that's 072-702-1702 on uh, X uh, formerly known as Twitter at Radio 702 at I am free TSM would be my handle. Um, and, uh, uh, would like to hear from you about these issues. Roxanne, let's, let's, uh, look at, 
uh, various scenarios uh, for purposes of understanding a little bit better. What happens in instances wherein you are liquidated uh, as a company? And what are the implications to you as perhaps the founder, the director of the company? And what are the implications to the directors of the company as well? So if you're a director of the company and you are eventually liquidated, so the liquidation application, the judge orders that the company is to be liquidated or you voluntarily liquidate the company. As the director, you are no longer in play, you're no longer in power. What what happens is a liquidator gets appointed um, and this liquidator is just the person that's responsible then for the winding up of the company. Remember, the winding up of the company means we're selling the assets and we're paying creditors and employees. So effectively, as the director, you no longer have any control. The liquidator steps in and he will then wind up the company or he will run the business to the extent that it's beneficial for its winding up. So say, for example, you have a retail a retail business, like mm. selling clothing, etc. Um, in order to properly wind down that company, you'd need to trade it for a bit in order to sell all the clothes and all the stock that's on hand. And therefore, you'd need to trade the business. Um, and only once that stock is now off your hands and sold, then you can wind down the business, use that income and pay creditors. But during that that process of trading the company to pay, I mean, to sell the stock, the director will still be there to assist wherever necessary to the liquidator. But ultimately, the, the, the role and responsibility of the director ceases. The one crucial aspect for a director is to make sure that they can be no claims levied against that director for reckless trading. Now, reckless trading means that you as the director of the company, you foresee or you know that the company is unable to pay its debts as and when it falls due. It's actually insolvent. It's trading insolvent in insolvent circumstances, but you decide still that you are going to incur further credit. So say, you go to, uh, let's not say a bank because a bank will do the credit checks, mm. but you go to, you go to another Family institution yeah. and you go and, yes, and you go apply for credit or you, um, incurring further debt elsewhere. That would be deemed, not, let me not say deemed, but that would be considered reckless trading. And that means then you as the director can be held personally liable for the costs of the company, for the for those liabilities, so it's very, it's very cr- crucial for directors to understand that when the company is facing um, insolvent circumstances or it's trading in, in insolvent circumstances, it's very crucial not to incur further debt because then you can be held personally liable. But as long as that circumstances don't occur, generally directors their responsibilities cease. And the company then closes down. So um, the main criteria is insolvency for liquidation. Yeah. So there's, there's the main criteria is insolvency. It's generally what we all use. But there is also another um, criteria that you can rely on. And that's just an equitable. 
And just and equitable just means that say a company has either there's a deadlock on the board, the board is not cooperating, you, the, the board actually can't operate this company properly. Although the company is solvent, it can trade. There's just a deadlock on the board. The shareholders are not getting along. You can't actually operate the company. You can actually also in those circumstances apply to court to have the company liquidated on the basis of just inequitable, despite the fact that the company is actually solvent. So there's another ground, but those those are rare cases. Yeah, and I'm just wondering, there would be obviously wheeling and dealing and there might be negotiations that take place behind the scenes. And with that, I bring an example that's in the public eye. And whilst we don't have the details there too, I'm sure that we can allude to it on the surface. Uh, not too long ago, there was a KZN-based company uh, that threatened to uh, liquidate the ANC. Uh, and uh, as far as we know now, the matter uh, it has been settled out of court, even though um, the courts had um, ruled in favor of the applicant at the time and the ANC then appealed uh, to go to um, uh, to the constitutional court, uh, all of a sudden, uh, there was, uh, everything else was withdrawn. It appears that there were some discussions behind the scenes. And that's not to confuse the ANC for a company. Uh, but I'm just uh, looking squarely on the issues of liquidation. I'm just wondering to what extent could there be some subtle nego- shuttle negotiations uh, and, and mediations that take place outside the formal structure? So, so liquidation, the application for liquidation can also be used as a threat. It can also be used as a means to get the person to negotiate or come back to the table so you can negotiate with them or to place pressure on them because because the other person knows that you owe them and that you can actually liquidate them because you've met the requirements now of insolvency. Often liquidation applications are used as a threat. Very often they're used as a threat. And as, because you can imagine as soon as you get a liquidation application, your company, your company is now in, in a, in a very difficult position. And if your employees find out it, it affects the business. And also if it's a, if it's a credible brand, um, in the market, it also it taints the brand. So a liquidation application can effectively put a lot of pressure on um, on people facing liquidation applications, which can ultimately force them to negotiate and 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 for the parties then to reach some type of agreement that ordinarily maybe they wouldn't have reached. Here's a question that came on our SMS line, on our WhatsApp line, 0727021702. It says, good evening. I need an advice. I once approached a certain businessman to ask if his company, uh, to ask if his company has a franchise since I loved uh, the business model of it. And the businessman uh, said there is no franchise, but how about buying shares? in that particular company and i agreed later i did find out that the company is on the brink of liquidation and deregistration 
can funders fund me to buy this company shares? Um, Anybody can fund you to buy shares, but I think any funder or anybody that is buying shares in a company must always do their due diligence. Mm. And due diligence is extremely important when you are buying buying shares or funding a purchase of shares because your due diligence goes into the very core of the business. You're looking at what actually from audited statements, what are the assets, what are the income, what is the staff component looking like, what has the what is the profitability of the business been over the last three years. And it must be from audited proper financial statements. So that due diligence is exceptionally important. And it, it can be a big exercise when you're talking about large companies, but it can be also a, a small exercise um, when it's when you're talking about smaller companies. So yes, there is a bit, it's, it's, it, let me say it's, it's a bit costly process, um, but you would rather spend the bit of money now in the beginning to make sure that when you're purchasing the shares or when you're funding the purchase of the shares, you're doing it into a business that is actually profitable and sustainable and that your investment is not going to be lost in the next six six months to to, to a year. So it's very important to do that due diligence in the very beginning. I suppose if you have more than one director in a company, uh, and the other people consent therein, uh, there would be implications on them as well. Could they be seen as irresponsible somehow and uh, legally be pro- prohibited from participating after a li- liquidation in other business activities? Um, so generally, so, so no, no. The, the answer is if, if a company has been liquidated and the person has been a director of the company, they, they're not precluded from starting a business again, a new business again. Um, nothing precludes you from starting a business again. A lot of people do that. Um, the difficulty comes in, like I mentioned, with the reckless trading. Mm. Um, if, if you were part of a business that was insolvent, trading insolvently, and you still incurred, um, debt or liabilities, you then were trading in insolvent circumstances and you would then be considered um, trading recklessly and then you could be held liable. Um, and that liability, once it's, once it's established, you're going to have to pay it, pay that liability back. So it would be very difficult in those circumstances um, to then go and open a new business while you have this liability. But there is nothing in our law that actually precludes another direct, one director of a company being, being liquidated to then start a whole new company um, up again. Mm. Um, and uh, in this instance, uh, Roxanne, uh, is, is there any consideration for possible bailouts Notwithstanding uh, what you've mentioned about due diligence and about uh, circumspect uh, uh, potential funders uh, who may want to have various criteria, but perhaps they may see what the problem is and say beyond this, there is uh, a bit of hope. Uh, any any prospects of a bailout being used as an instrument to avert this? Do those exist? Um, 
So yes, there is what what we call what's there's a there's a alternative to liquidation, and this is what is called business rescue. And business rescue has become very um, popular over the over the course of the last few years. And business rescue is essentially where there's still a viable business um, that can be saved. And the the business rescue process then is also in terms of the Companies Act, and it allows the company to go into business rescue, and then the the, the Companies Act affords it a protection on legal proceedings, so it allows the space to um, restructure its affairs and then to obtain financing from or, or what we can say a bailout from financial institutions or any other. Um, funders who is willing to come in and essentially rescue the business because they see value in the business. That's one aspect of business rescue. So it's essentially to ultimately restructure the, the affairs of the company so that company can continue trading in the future, jobs can be saved, um, etc. The other aspect of business rescue or goal of business rescue is if it's un if it's not possible for the company to actually be rescued and return to a state of solvency where it can continue trading, then the other aspect is to ensure that your in a business rescue, your your creditors will receive a better payment than they would receive in a liquidation. So, for example, in a liquidation, creditors generally receive very, very little. If they receive mm. 10 cents, they are very lucky. Yeah, 10 cents they for They might rent. only receive, yeah, and that's, that's, that's very lucky. Generally, you're going to receive a 1 cent or a 2 cents in the rand. But the other aim of business rescue now is to ensure that your creditors can at least receive more than what they would in a liquidation. So, the, the role here, we call it the business rescue practitioner. The role of the business rescue practitioner in those circumstances is to see how, what plan can they devise to make sure that your creditors at least receive better than they would in a liquidation. So it just lessens the blow for your creditors. And in some circumstances, it can ensure that there's a job, um, job security because sometimes the business can be sold or the assets can be sold. And the the employees can then be transferred to a new employer. So there is this mechanism of business rescue, which is seen as an alternative to liquidation, which can actually assist um, companies where there's a proper business in place. It just needs that space to restructure its affairs and that um, opportunity to get financing. So that would be actually a good mm. option for DRIP. Yeah, and it appears, I mean, that there is, speaking of drip in this instance, that uh, the there was an attempt to put together a proposal uh, wherein they said that uh, a certain amount would be paid by April. And uh, I suppose even if you're negotiating in that spirit, it has to meet the satisfaction of uh, the applicant. Yeah. So what I what I read from the article is that there was what they call we call an acknowledgement of debt. So meaning 
Drip said, okay, I agree. I owe you the 20 million, but can we agree that I'm going to pay it off in a certain amount of installments? And, and the creditor or the applicant said, yes, that's fine. But unfortunately, Drip then was not able to make those installments. Um, and therefore they, they, they defaulted on that acknowledgement of debt. But what one of the options then for Drip is, is, if it needs the breathing space and there is a viable businesses to consider possibly business rescue. 011-883-0702. And we are talking about um, a liquidation. What happens if as an entrepreneur, you get to experience liquidation? Uh, there is liquidation applied against your company or you want to apply for liquidation against those who owe you, companies that owe you. What are some of the processes? Uh, Roxanne Webster, director and partner at Bowman's Law Firm, joins us uh, to discuss those issues. And if you've just joined us, uh, welcome. Uh, feel free to send your questions through. 0727021702. This one says, good evening. Uh, does your guest know anything about Mango Airlines? I wonder, uh, will they ever refund the customer's for the plane tickets and in liquidation, where do they, where do we locate the customer's refunds? Roxanne, I know I'm throwing, uh, spanners in the works, but, uh, any, any light in this instance? Um, unfortunately, that one I can't comment on. Um, okay. it's, it's, it's a matter that one of our partners is busy with. Okay. So I think the, the, the best bet is to actually just watch the news. And I think what, what is playing out in the news is that, that we, they're waiting for funding and proper funding to implement the business rescue plan, which will essentially then hopefully get people paid. So that funding or bailout is, is, is supposed to come. Mm, great. No, uh, understandably so. And uh, to, uh, once let's assume a liquidation takes place and those who are owed, some of them get five cents uh, to a rent. Um, and beyond that, will the matter be considered uh, closed and finalized? And whatever is outstanding is what is forfeited uh, because that's just how business works. Or would there be any sort of uh, financial ramifications at a later stage? No. So, once, so say if the creditor receives only five cents for every rand that's owed, um, unfortunately that is liquidation and, and the balance then is written off. You can't claim the balance. There's, there's no funds left to claim the balance. The benefit is, so you get different classes of mm. creditors as well, groups of creditors. The, the class that we're talking about now is what we call the unsecured or the concurrent creditor that has no security for the for their claim, so they simply rely on whether there's actually funds left in the business to pay them something, and if there's nothing, and and they walk away with zero cents, that's unfortunately how liquidation works, and there's no there's no rights that they have um, mm. to claim it from anywhere. But if you are a what we call a secured creditor. And a secured creditor is someone that holds security and security is, say, in the form of a mortgage bond. Say the company has a immovable property, a house somewhere, 
um, and and that creditor has now registered a mortgage bond over that property. Um, that is then their security. So once that property is sold, they have a right to be paid from the sale of that that property. Um, and if that property sells for the full value of their claim, then then good for them. They receive hundred cents in the rand, meaning that their full claim is paid. But if that property is only sold for, for less than the market value or less than the debt, unfortunately that's, that's say it, it still maybe gets whatever, like 70 cents or whatever. It depends mm. on, on the value that, that the property is sold for, but they would have a, a claim for the balance, say the, the, the 50 cents, but that balance would also then be unsecured, meaning if there's nothing left, um, there's no, no funds left in the, in the company, then unfortunately they're not going to get paid the, the remainder of their, their funds. But that's just how liquidation works also. It's a, it's a risk to liquidate a company because if you if the company doesn't have assets, then you probably, as a creditor, you're not going to get paid anything. Mm, mm. And I, I suppose uh, other creditors then become uh, spectators because they can't take further legal action against you once uh, the process of liquidation has begun. Yeah. So and a lot of times you find that once... Once a company goes into business rescue, your bigger creditors, which is generally your banks, they sit back and they wait unless they have some type of security, then they at least know that they'll be paid something. But if they have no security, then you literally sitting back and, and waiting to see if you'll get paid and if there is something in the estate. If there's nothing, then that's just how it, that, how liquidation works. In other circumstances, like you would see in DRIP, um, the director signed as a personal surety. So meaning even if you get one cent in the liquidation of DRIP, that creditor can then still go against the director in his personal capacity for the balance because he now signed as a personal surety. So if you hold a personal surety um, against someone, you can still then pursue that. And and uh, with it, I'm just thinking of um, you as an individual and privately, you are cushioned from um, all other possible consequences of uh, the company's liquidation. And, um, and, and, and I'm speaking just as a layman here, Roxanne, that whilst someone's company could be completely liquidated, uh, they could be boiling it on a pos- on a personal level, driving expensive cars and having a good life as a- only if they are not attached or registered under that said company. Yeah, exactly that. Because the, what our law has done is to make sure that a company is a separate legal entity on its own. It's separate from its, um, its management and its directors. So the liabilities of the company won't attach to the, to the director or the founders or management in their personal capac- capacities unless as I've said, you've signed a personal surety, then you can be held liable for the debts. But unless that hasn't happened, you haven't signed a surety, Mm. your personal life and personal finances 
won't be affected by the liquidation of your company. And uh, I mean, I, I'm just thinking that the various stakeholders herein, especially when you are running a business, uh, the, 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 the leaseholders and other stakeholders just in and around you. And it could be that you were having a great business relationship with uh, other creditors and uh, business stakeholders. But because of this particular application, um, everyone else will be directly affected. Uh, by the liquidation process. Yeah, so generally all of your, all the contracts that you've entered into will be affected. Um, sometimes in your contracts you will have your default clauses and one of the defaults would be either entering into a liquidation or a business rescue scenario which then means that you've def- you've triggered a default event on your contract and that entitles then the other party or the service provider to cancel the agreement so there is those circumstances where a liquidation can have an impact on the contracts of the business um, so say so you have a lease agreement, um, once if a company is liquidated, the liquidator then needs to determine whether he wants to continue with the lease or not. Um, and that's the same with other contracts. If, if, it's a, if it's a construction company and, and you've now busy with a con- a construction or development, etc., and you're in the middle of it, the, the, the liquidator will then decide whether he wants to continue with that contract or not. But Ultimately, um, most of the contracts nowadays have that default clause where if you enter into liquidation, it's considered a default and that other contracting party has certain remedies available to them. Now, we also mentioned employees. One of the, the, one of the biggest impact of a liquidation is on the employees because immediately once the company is liquidated, the employment contracts are suspended. And the liquidator then has to decide um, whether they're going to he's going to terminate those employment contracts, and he can only terminate them once he's gone through a consultation process. Um, and they, the employees, are then not entitled to salaries from the date of of so suspension, but they can obviously try and claim the unemployment benefits. Mm. Um, but the biggest impact, again, also on employees is that they claim for salaries in terms of the law is limited. So generally you'll see that an employee will only get paid out approximately 23,000 to 25,000 rand Mm. once a company is liquidated because that's the maximum amount our, our law will allow. Oh my goodness me. And uh, if you were earning about 60,000 rands or anything above 25, you'd certainly feel the pinch. Exactly, exactly. And and, um, uh, just before we uh, conclude our discussion, Roxanne, uh, also reverting back to this drip uh, um, matter that we used as a catalyst for uh, this topic, Um, it was reported in the the articles that one of the uh, legal representatives mentioned that uh, he... Uh, actually, one of the company directors mentioned that he also instructed the lawyers to institute a separate suit against the owner of Drip, uh, Likao Sehwana, 
who uh, signed security papers for these deals. Um, how is that linked to the security that you've just mentioned that uh, it exposes you to personal liability? So that's exactly the security that I mentioned. So it's called a surety ship agreement. And generally you'll find it in a lot of instances. Say you go to a bank and you want to get an overdraft facility as the company or you want to get a credit card facility, but you're still building up your business. Um, Often the banking institutions or other institutions that are lending funding will ask for a personal surety ship, meaning that you as the director or the person that's signing um, that agreement is is agreeing to hold themselves personally liable. So what happened in drip scenario then, there must have been a, and I understand it was for advertising services. Mm. Once drip concluded that agreement, there was probably a section in that agreement, alternatively a separate document, which said then, if drip is unable to pay, um, this director will stand as personal surety and he will be jointly and severally liable for the debts of DRIP, meaning that unfortunately it's no longer just DRIP's problem or DRIP's liability. It now becomes his problem as well because he now gave that security or signed that surety ship, making him personally liable for the debts. As, as, before we say goodbye, we've got about a minute or so left, Roxanne. Um, what is the best possible way as an entrepreneur to, uh, to, to look out for uh, measures that could prevent liquidation? Uh, could it be that when, once you get these letters of demand, you need to respond immediately? What are some of the issues to consider to avoid being where DRIP is right now? So that's that's correct as you've put it. It's if you get a letter of demand and the letter of demand specifically references section three four five um subsection one of the Companies Act, then you know it's not a simple letter of demand. That person that's sending you that letter of demand, um, if you don't respond, they will be able to approach the court to have you liquidated. So those type of letters of demand, it's absolutely essential to respond to. And and, and in responding, I think you must be very, um, not calculated, but you have to be very honest with where the business is, what the business can do, and how can you remedy the situation. It's always better to try and amicably resolve the 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 situation rather than being in drip scenario where you have to now be opposing high court applications so it's always better in those circumstances to try and amicably resolve it respond to the letter of demand make proposals on how you're going to um, remedy the situation but make sure when you're making those proposals that you can actually um, meet the the deadlines meet the the payment obligations so make sure that you are speaking to if you have access to funders if you can go to the banks to to look for additional funding to pay to pay the 
that amount. Mm. That's that's the critical part because then you get away from the deemed insolvency. But it's also the other aspect is also to just be honest about mm. where the business is. Sure. If you are insolvent and you've been insolvent, um, understand where the business is and take a proactive steps in 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 either closing the business down if it if if you see it's not going to work or try and get um people in to try and assist you sure roxanne i can't thank you enough you've been extremely articulate and eloquent on these issues thanks for breaking them down for us uh, all the best to you really appreciate your time Thanks for having me, Tabo. Roxanne Webster, Director, Partner at Bowman's Law Firm.